Welcome to a Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. I'm Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. We are here weekly to discuss the journeys of female food entrepreneurs. We're glad you've joined us today as we bring you stories of hope and inspiration. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Missoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. Sarah Missoni, we got to hang a couple times this week. Should we tell people about what we did? Sure. Why not? So we, <laughs> we um, first, we got to meet up together to talk about the fancy food show this year yes we did on a zoom and call on a zoom call and a special project that we're doing together you say that it's my idea but i don't know if that's true because we walked the floor together at the fancy food show and saw people cooking and we had vision it sounds better if i say it's your <laughs> idea girlfriend well we had visions of a cooking stage and cooking demos and so we are um going to start a little pilot program this year. Yeah, and and we blew the Specialty Food Association folks away. They're like, (laughs) you're going to do what? Yeah, they had no idea we were planning something special, and we're (laughs) going to try it out. I have big dreams of eventually having a stage and guest chefs and things like that. Stage is going to be awesome. Yeah, for this year, I'm just going to cook at the Food Innovation Center. I was actually like, could we bring like our Bose speaker and then have you on your kitchen and then broadcast it through the speaker or... i think i think we're gonna do something along those lines we're kind of figuring we'll it out figure right it now. out yeah this will be a test run so i think your bro's we'll, gonna help you yeah i think we'll okay. learn a lot and we'll we'll go from there but i'm excited about it yeah yeah it's gonna be great and it Stay got me tuned, people. Yeah, it got me pumped for going to Vegas. So I'll be planning an adventure Vegas, for us as well. <laughs> and uh, then the next time that we met up this week was to go to a fun event. We that went, was fun. We went to the um, Kobe uh, food gathering that mm-hmm. they had at um, the EcoTrust building. Yes. And you got to lead a tour at the Food Innovation Center, right? Yes, the mayor of Kobe was at the Food Innovation Center, and I actually stood by him and had my photograph taken with a large group of folks in the lobby at the Food Innovation Center, and they had a great time. I He was in my tour, so I got to tell him um, if they open a center like ours, they really need to have someone essentially like me that loves food and is entrepreneurial and understands food science and things like that to help the folks of their region be able to commercialize food products. Yeah. I Well, I think, you know, they come here, we do an exchange between Port, um, Portland and Kobe 
And they come here and they learn all these great things from us. And then they go back and they model it after the things that we do in Portland. So um, I really loved hearing about all of that. And yeah. And at the presentation, they were talking about how they modeled their farmer's market, which they didn't have one prior to yeah. coming here, that they modeled it after our market and that um, the advice that the market, who I'm guessing it was probably Amber, our, our um, operations yes. manager of the market, gave the um, feedback that they should have it in the trees and they should have it every week and that those were really yes. important things. And so they did that. And they're that. doing it and it's and working. Yeah. And it was beautiful. They showed pictures of what it looked like. And a lot of the different people from Kobe spoke. And then there were some um, lovely chefs and past guests that we've had on the show that were there yes. making us food. So um, Stacy from Side Yard Farm was there making some Althea food. Althea was there. Althea was there. And chili it, crisp. Yeah. And it was really fun. And um, Sarah and I, they did a little... Um, they got a, They put us in a photo, even. They did. They kept and, saying to me, you're in the New York Times? <laughs> That's so cool. It was so fun. And we made, a, um, we made a vase out of, did you know that was local straw that they had gone, gotten from a farm? I didn't understand that whole thing, except the fellow was a thatch, a roof thatcher kind of a fellow. Yeah, so and he was, was showing us what he did. Mm-hmm. But I think it might tip over. I haven't put anything in mine yet. Have you tried? Oh yeah, as long as it's in the center, it won't tip over. Your 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 glass cylinder was it okay. in the center? Yeah, you supervised me. <laughs> <laughs> I always um find a way to get my hands in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> really do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it was really I have fun. It. It was great to hang out and see you at the event and I had a good time and I'm good. glad that we could we could meet up there together. Yeah. Yep, it was fun and the food was really tasty and it was just nice to be out celebrating the two cities. Yeah, it was good to gather again for sure. Very nice. Mm -hmm. That was the first time they'd had an event um um since the pandemic. So it was really nice to have that yeah. exchange program open back up. Yeah. Uh, and we want to thank our sponsor for supporting Smithsonian Marshall. Uh, thank you for helping us to spread the word about small women entrepreneurs. Let's hear a word from our sponsor, Market of Choice. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local entrepreneurs, so much so that we carry more than 7,000 locally made, raised, farmed, and harvested foods in our stores. Our passion is to help local markers. Ooh, local makers, not markers, farmers, ranchers, and fisher folks realize their potential through programs that help them succeed. Thank you, Market of Choice. And we would like to introduce you to our guest today. We have Erin Domier, who is the co-owner of Trafin Foods. Trafin Foods is a sustainable, responsible Pacific Northwest seafood fishery based in Washington. Welcome, Erin. Thank you for having me. It's we're nice so to see you today. Yeah, yeah, we're so glad you're here. Uh, we like our listeners to be able to follow along. So how can they find you on Instagram and online? Um, well, they can find us on Instagram. Um, our Instagram is at DayboatTuna. And we're also on Facebook um, at Trafin Foods. Um, and then our website is TrafinFoods.com. Perfect. And we'll make sure to connect people along those ways. And um, we like to start at the beginning of people's journey. So you're a co-owner of Trafin. And so how did you 
start fishing. Yeah. Well, how did you? Yeah. Well, when I did not grow up fishing, actually, I'm from the Pacific Northwest, um, did not fish, um, except a couple times, you know, lake fishing as a kid. Um, my husband and I, um, moved back to the Northwest, um, soon after we got married and we started fishing for, for fun, just sport mm. fishing. And, uh, we we were fishing out at the mouth of the Columbia for salmon, and um, then we met some people who got us into albacore tuna fishing, mm -hmm. and we loved it, and we were catching a ton of fish, and we started competing in uh, tournaments, and we were doing well in the tournaments, and we had more fish than we could eat ourselves, so we were giving it to friends and family. And they kept telling us how fantastic it was, that it was the best fish that they had had. And so we thought maybe people would want to buy our fish. And nice. so it kind of went from there. Um, we started just um, commercially fishing albacore. And then in 2019, we diversified and started um, ground fishing for sablefish, rockfish, lingcod, halibut petroli um so it's kind of just it evolved and expanded um over the years can you and, tell us sorry sarah can you ahead. tell us how you came up with the name trayfin well actually um it stands for three tray uh fins um three fish and initially we uh were looking at the albacore halibut and salmon. And then um, as time went on, we decided commercially fishing salmon wasn't the right thing for us. And so uh, that's when we kind of moved to the sable fish um, side of things. So it, it was the three main, the three fins fish that we were um, fishing for. And how long have you had the business as a commercial business for? In 2014, um, we started okay. uh, fishing commercially. And and like I said, at that time, it was just albacore tuna that we yeah. were fishing. Um, yeah. And um, your website talks about communities, you being a community-supported fishery. Can we explain what that means, uh, uh, CSF, and, and what that looks like for you guys? Yeah. So we, um, yeah, we have our community-supported fishery, <laughs> which is... Um, similar to um a community supported agriculture but really um when i explain it to people it's more like participating in a wine club um we uh provide um a year-round supply of fish to our customers and they get it on a quarterly um, basis so they basically buy into our catch of fish and um they uh over the course of the year it's a um, 40 pounds of fish that they receive and we break it up, um, into 10 pound increments, um, four times a year and they can choose to, um, get our variety, our mixed seafood. Um, or if some people just want albacore, some people just want black cod, sable fish. So we have, we have a few different options, but, um, it, it allows people to, um, get our catch a little um, better price than if they would um, get it somewhere else. 
I and I think people are really familiar with that for farms, like having a yeah. CSA, but they um don't always think about it for buying meat or buying fish. And so I just wanted um people to understand that they could do that. And so they would pre-buy it from you and that helps you guys to um, you know, go out there and catch all of that fish and then they you buy into your business and it works out great for everybody. <laughs> it does. It, it really does. Yeah. It's um it's great. And we have uh we have several uh CSF members and um we, you know we we give them a variety of ways to get their their fish. Um we participate in several farmers markets. We also do a quarterly pickup um or or we home deliver in the Portland Vancouver area as well. So and we also ship our our seafood. So a lot of our listeners are envious of people like you. Can you tell us um, when you started to develop this business, what were some of the key factors that allowed you to sort of decide, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do this business. Um, well, I think that that really like our whole um, motto is sustainable um fishing so we only fish for um healthy stocks of fish in our local waters um and um we just really uh wanted we kind of were decided to go for it because we wanted to provide something different to uh to people um it's you know the way that we take care of our fish um the way that we our methods of fishing are a little bit different and um we we just wanted to provide that so, so to people so some people are afraid of cooking frozen fish do you have any other types of fish that people can buy from you well we really our primary um is our fresh frozen um fish during uh the tuna season during the summer we do sell our fish fresh um from our uh processing um facility in Ilwaco but we really um really push for the fresh frozen because we really believe that it provides a higher quality of fish uh the way that we um we catch our fish um bring it back to port within 24 hours of it being caught and then we quickly um, hand cut it ourselves um, and vacuum pack flash freeze it right away. So it keeps that high quality of the day it was caught um, for long, long time in the freezer. Um, so and really uh, cooking frozen fish um, is is just as easy as as cooking fresh fish. <laughs> So what about, I saw that you also have some fish in flexible um, packaging that's shelf stable. Is that canned tuna? We do. Yeah. Yes. We, um, we do our, um, they're in retort pouches. Uh, so it's the same as a can, um, but it's lighter weight, easier to pack. Um, and it is our fish. Uh, we actually have that co-packed down in um, Coos Bay, Oregon Seafoods does that for us. Um, our our product is a a little different than a lot of the canned fish that you buy in in stores. We don't add anything to it. It's cooked in its own juices, only cooked once, so it keeps the the nutrients 
Um, and it really is just a different, uh, different product than uh, some of the cans that you buy. So if somebody wants to stock their pantry with your canned tuna, can they order it online as well? Yeah. Yes. We, uh, and we ship the, ship that across the country as well. That's wonderful. Um, I, you mentioned farmers markets, uh, and I just wanted you to tell people what farmers markets you do because a lot of our listeners are farmers market shoppers, but also farmers market vendors, and so we like to connect those people together. So, which farmers markets are you at? We are actually um, during the heart of farmers market season. We're in six farmers markets right now. Oh. It's a little pared down because um, a lot of them are not operating during the winter, mm-hmm. but we do the PSU farmers market. Um, we are at the Va- Vancouver Farmers Market during the summer months. Mm, the cool. Yep. Um, Montevilla Market uh, year-round. The Hillsdale Farmers Market is year-round as well. Um, and Hood River Farmers Market, we participate in year-round. Um, we also do the Manzanita Farmers Market during the, mm-hmm. the summer. Okay, so how can you be at six different farmers markets? <laughs> I think only Sarah Marshall can do that. <laughs> not not, a, sure not how you would do it. Not anymore. <laughs> so we uh, we have a farmers market. Uh, our employees that that help us out with, oh, okay. with the market. So you have employees. Well. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we does that mean you have six members. sets of everything? You have six tables, six tents. Six we tables. actually have three. Because, oh, we have three. Yes, three sets of everything because we have multiple markets on Saturdays, multiple markets on Sundays. So they're able to share the. Now, uh, do those people store that equipment in their own garage, or they get to come to your house every time there's a market? We have a storage. Um, place where they um pick up the those market supplies um okay. and we also have cold storage um uh, in portland that um we're able to stock some of that so they pick up the fish and um the supplies they need from either of those locations that's nice so they awesome. don't have to drive all the way to washington to get it from you they can just no. go to portland <laughs> that makes sense uh we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back i want to hear about what it's like to be out on a boat at sea we'll be right back oregon state university's college of agricultural sciences and the food innovation center are proud sponsors of meaningful marketplace With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. All right, we're back. And I can tell you, Sarah Marshall, what it's like to be on a boat (laughs) out on the sea. It makes you feel seasick. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm. Wonder- that's what I'm wondering. I I have never really been on a boat on the ocean. Uh, I mean, I think you have to be a special person to be out on a boat on the ocean. But let's see what Aaron. Yeah, says. Aaron, tell us about it. What's it do like? You go on the boat, Aaron. I do. Uh, I don't go out on the boat as much as I used to. Um, but um, I I'm pretty lucky. Knock on wood, I've never been seasick. Mm. 
So um, I don't, I have, I don't have that experience. Oh, it's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it, it's actually amazing being, being out on the ocean. I mean, you see things out there that you, you know, can't see anywhere. How far out does your boat go? 20 Um, miles, 40 miles? We, because we come back um, quickly, we don't go further than about 60 miles out. Um, How long does that take to get 60 miles an hour? um, It takes a, about three, depending on the water, the ocean, the weather, um, three to four hours. Whoa, you must get up really early in the morning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and eat some pancakes or something and some coffee. And then... Yeah. It's a, they're long days out on the water. Long days. Do you pack lunches? Yes. Uh-huh. I think I think fishing is one of those things, too, that, um, you know, even the term that we use when we talk about it, it's often uh, people often say fishermen. Um, Yeah. When people refer to you, do they call you a fisherwoman or do they call you a uh, what do they how do you how do you identify that you're the one fishing, Erin? Most. Yeah. Most people still say fishermen, Uh uh, which is okay with me. Uh, Fisher just. Fisher, um, it uh, yeah. There sometimes there are uh, people that are very focused on the the title of it, which mm-hmm. I'm I'm okay being called a fisherman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in Ireland, the fishermen wear uh, cable knit sweaters with their pattern on it. So in case something happens, somebody finds them, they have a special pattern. They know who the person is. Is that something that you all have some kind of like special identifying we crest or how like, do you? On our person, we don't yeah. we don't have anything um, specific that identifies us. Our safety equipment um, we have uh, that will automatically alert if there you know if there's an issue. Um, it will alert the service. We have we purchase a service that um, oh. that sends that information out. So then the Coast Guard can be contacted and. That's cool. Yeah. They went, never have to they use went, it. <laughs> they went yeah. high tech, Sarah, instead of sweater <laughs> color. Cable knit sweaters anymore. <laughs> they paid okay, for a service. <laughs> so here's a question. I was down on the docks in Newport oh, earlier this summer, and I noticed that the boats have big um, number systems on it, telling people what sort of license they hold for fishing. So there's some kind of a system in place. For folks, you can't just go buy a boat and go out and start fishing. You have to have some special licensing. Isn't that right? Can you yeah, tell us? Yes. Um, and it it varies uh, depending on the fishery that you're fishing. Um, but you have to get a commercial fishing license. And you there are requirements um, of trainings and um, equipment that has to be on your boat. You have to have the Coast Guard uh, come and certify your boat, look at it, make you know, sign it off, say that you are safe to go out there and fish. Um, and then based on the different 
fishery, um, there are also additional requirements um, and there are quotas that you have to um, stay within for certain certain fish that you catch. And um, so it's, yeah, but a commercial boat has those big numbers. You can, you can tell that different from uh, sport boats. Yeah. And who um, generally are you selling your fish to? Is it, um, you know, market shoppers? Is it grocery stores? Is it chefs? Is it all of the above? Who's buying your fish? Uh, it's all of the above. Mm-hmm. Um, we we really, we love to have that um, direct to customer um, interaction and um, relationship. But we also, we sell our fish to several restaurants, um, we are in conversation with um, a couple of uh, with Market of Choice and a couple local coastal markets. Um, we we have our products in some of the smaller boutique markets on the coast um, as well. But um, yeah, we've got we've got restaurants along the coast um, and in the Portland metro area as well. So I was looking at all the delicious recipes you have on your website. Mm-hmm. So never fear people if you buy their fish. There are good recipes you can look up right on the Trayfin website. And one of them that caught my eye was actually spaghetti alpona, which it sounds like you're putting tuna in the spaghetti. Can you tell us about that recipe? Do you make spaghetti with tuna? Uh, Yeah, yeah. You can. And I actually haven't made that recipe recipe in quite a while. So it's not like I don't have it fresh on my, uh, but it is, it's um, you could use um, the, the canned, the pouch. Yeah. Uh, we've had some people that have done that or um, doing um, the, it, with the fresh loin as well um, and cooking it. And it's, it's an amazing um I bet it's delicious. And then I know you have a chef that works with you. Her name is Ellen. Yes. And she has her fancy poke on your um, website. It's amazing. Yes. Ellen is, uh, she has been with us for, oh my gosh, three, four years now. And um, yes, she she helps um, develop some of our recipes. She helps with our uh, CSF program um, and also uh, our restaurant um, customers um, as well. But yeah, she's she's a great asset to our company. She's awesome. We always like to ask our guests if they have a product that tells their story best. So for you, is there a fish that you think tells your story best? Uh, I would say the albacore um, because that was the beginning of of where you know where we started with the business and um, and really it is uh, it's how people know us. We've you know since we've diversified, um, our albacore isn't actually even our most popular um, fish that we sell, but it was it was the beginning um, and they are by far the most fun to catch. It's uh, it's exciting to to fish for albacore. I don't even really know much about um, you know, fish size, but are albacore really big or are they a small fish? What are they? So they 
they're they migrate from the south. So when they show up in our waters, they are they average about 18 to 20 pounds. So they're not a a large fish, mm-hmm. but they uh and the fish that we get up here are probably three to five years old. So they're younger fish. Um, but they fight. Uh, they swim fast. They're very strong fish. Mm. And so um, it's really exciting to catch them. But a 20 pound, pound fish is, you know, probably about uh, 24 to 30 inches long. Um, and, uh, and when we, when we fillet them, we get about a 45% yield from the fish. So you get close to half of the total weight of the fish in the in the meat, the loin. What was your biggest catch ever in a single day? The biggest catch ever. Um, it was a few years ago and mm. we had 236 fish in wow. one day. And all of them are caught one at a time. Um, yeah. Hook and line. So yeah, is it, it's, is a long, hard, but fun day. So what do you put on the hook? Is it just a lure or little orange buttons? What do you put on there? To put, <laughs> what do you put? I don't even know. So we, we actually, there are a couple of, I bet no worms, no worms. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There are a couple of different ways um, that we fish. We usually start by um, trolling for the fish. And so there's a lure that you put um, at the end and trolling, you drag the, the lines behind and those lures are sparkly and bright and they flash flash and they look like bait fish to the albacore and so it attracts them and um albacore fish uh swim in schools and so usually if you get into a couple you get into hundreds hundreds of them and um so once we bring them up um with by the troll then we stop and basically stop the boat and start live bait fishing. And so usually we use anchovies mm. and you put them on the end of your hook and the anchovy still alive um, and it swims away. And the albacore, you can, a lot of times when they're close, you can see them come and oh. bite bite your fish. It's, it's really exciting. I know. Wow. I was just going to say, it sounds so fun and exciting. Yeah. It's so, <laughs> and when so you exciting. see them, uh, because when you know 50, 50 plus miles out in the ocean, um, it's it's a dark, vibrant blue, and the visibility is is great. So you can actually see them quite a ways. And when you see them coming at your line, it's just that anticipation of waiting for them to just attack. So, how many lines can you have in at a time? Do you just have one per person, or is it different when you're commercial fishing? Um, it's different. There's no uh, limit to the number of lines that you can have. Our boat, we have a smaller boat. And so we usually have about seven lines out um, at a time. More than that, uh, it get it can get really, they get tangled. If you have fish coming on and 
you know, they're in, they kind of get in a frenzy and they're attacking, yeah. you know, your lines, then they'll start tangling with each other and oh dear. It, it can become a mess really Has quickly. Has that happened ever to you? Uh, yes, it happens every time, um, <laughs> but not not that often any you know as you get as you do it longer uh you it's we call it the dance the tuna dance uh, mm-hmm. of how you weave in and out through each other to keep your lines from from getting tangled tuna dance and That's what good. is it like more sustainable to fish with a hook and a line rather than a net i mean i guess i would just think that you would use a net but i also don't know much about commercial fishing <laughs> It is more sustainable because um, when you're fishing with hook and line, you can target the specific fish that you're looking for. So it really cuts down on the bycatch that you have. Um, And um, so with a net, you know, basically with a net, they just kind of drag it through the water and it just takes anything, everything that's there. And um, so it it really depletes. the ocean. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. what's the weirdest thing you ever caught? Um a slime eel Ooh. is the weirdest thing that I have ever personally caught. Um is it slimy, just like it sounds. Yes, they're disgusting. Um yeah. uh, and, I'm gonna totally Google it later yeah. because I have no idea what it's like, but I can't wait to see it. <laughs> it looks like a giant worm. Yeah. Um, and when you catch it, its um defense mechanism is to produce this slime. slime. Oh, and it, barf. <laughs> it looks like snot. Uh and it Ew. just pulls down and drips off of the yeah. eel. And Gross. it is okay. Disgusting. So what did you do once you caught this slime eel? Um well make sushi it, out of it? No, (laughs) we let it go (laughs) because it survived. So we let them go. But there actually is a huge slime eel market um, in uh, Asian countries. I've had eel on sushi. It actually tastes like walleye, in my opinion. Yeah, I have never eaten slime eel. Uh, I don't know if I ate slime eel, but I have definitely eaten eel. Yeah, same, same. How do you know if it's slime eel compared to regular eel? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> so you could touch it and see if it's slime. Inquiring minds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how you would cut open a slime eel. It's probably so slimy. Yeah, they're gross. I think that once, I mean, I have... I've only, you know, we've caught them and released them. Um, so I haven't seen them after they've died. But I think once they're dead, like they don't continue to produce that slime. So, uh-huh. um, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> like, you're, just, you're, not a, you're not a slime eel expert and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it is the weirdest thing she ever caught though. Okay. I have to ask you, you went to OSU and you graduated in 1993. Go Beavs. Go Beavs. Did you watch the football game this week, last weekend, or whenever the last game was? Oh, yeah, they they lost in the last few minutes, didn't they? Yeah, and I it actually did not, see, did not see that game. It was a very exciting game up in Washington. Yeah. Did you enjoy going to OSU? 
I loved it. Yes. I loved it there too. What was your favorite part about OSU? Oh gosh. Um, I, uh, well, I mean the friends that I loved the, the community of Mm -hmm. OSU, like the campus. Um, it's just such a tight knit knit little community. And there's so uh, many awesome things you can do as a student there, isn't there? Yes. Yes. Were you in any clubs or marching band or anything like that? Um, I was on the swim team for oh. a couple of years. Um, and then I also was in a sorority. Um, nice. With you. Yeah. So you have lots of friends from that, I'm sure. Yes. That's cool. And then you um, have worked uh, in teaching and education. I think I was looking at your LinkedIn because sometimes people are like, Gosh, how did this brave woman go from being this to being that? Are you still working in your uh, professional career or are you, have you replaced that career? I, I replaced that um, about four years ago now. Oh, that's um, but yes, I was a special education teacher. Um, I taught middle school and um worked primarily with um, students who had emotional and behavior challenges. And uh, then I kind of moved from actually teaching in the classroom to uh, working with teachers on how to be proactive um, around behavior. Um, Solutions. Yes. So I did that for several years. Well, until uh, 2018. 18. Um, Mm. And then that was kind of when the business, it was picking up um, to the point where we needed to either hire someone else to do it or take it on um, myself. And so I I decided to to take it on myself. And um, yeah, I really miss um, my students. but I think this is a difficult time to be in education, um, right? Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah. So now lot- you work with a school of fish. I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and do you think that you will um, te- teach other women how to fish? I would That's love to. Good I would love to do that. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'll go fishing with you someday, but I got to ask you, would I wear my waders? What would I wear if I went fishing on your boat? Um, I already know I won't be wearing a sweater. I'll have a tracker, but I probably have to have some clothes on too. Yeah, uh, you'll want to wear bibs, rain bibs. Okay. Rain boots. And then in the summer, it is like you don't need a rain jacket, but this time of year, it's pretty wet. Uh, yeah, cold too. So it. yeah, mm-hmm. so it's definitely covered covered in rubber from head to toe. <laughs> so right now is okay. So we're in November, but your fishery is July to October. Is that for just for this tuna? And yes. then you fish the other um, fisheries after that. Yes. Yeah. So uh-huh. tuna, uh, the, there's no like start and stop season for tuna. It's it's basically just when they show up because they oh, okay. are migrating. Um, they usually show up right around Fourth uh, of July, mm-hmm. and then they're usually here until 
end of September, mid to end of September. This year, we were actually still fishing in the middle of October. Wow. Uh, which is not typical. Um, it's so hot. Yeah. It was strangely warm, wasn't it? Yes. Um, so now tuna season is done and we're focusing on our the ground fish. So, and we can fish uh, the ground fish year round. So, so when you fish for the rockfish, do you actually identify them and pack them by the type of rockfish? We started to do that. Yeah. Um, but there are so many varieties of rockfish. Hmm. And we do identify them. You have to when you some of them, them are so much better than others. Like I've had some rockfish that was amazing. And then um I think the fish that we had here at the FIC, we were working on a school um fin to school or something like that. And they identified all the rockfish. And I think there was one called Canary. Mm-hmm. It was so good. It is. It is so good. It's good, right? Yes. I even remembered the name correctly. And it was coming out of Coos Bay. Um, they were packing the fish and identifying which rockfish it was. And uh, once I found out which one was the best, I was sneaking it home. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anyone. You and just then, told everyone. <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, get out there and buy some canary rockfish, all you fisher eaters. It's good. Yeah, we catch them up here as well. Erin, mm. we always like to ask our guests um, what you need from your community. How can we and the listeners out there support you and your biz? Um, well, I think that um, the biggest help it really is educating the community about frozen fish, fresh frozen fish in particular. Yeah. Um, there's such a stigma around frozen fish, which I get where it came from. I mean, Back in the day, they would bring fresh fresh fish and let it sit out uh, for days and days. And then when it didn't sell, they would put it in the freezer. And so that that is not high quality fish. But really, um, I think, you know, educating people around um, not only the taste of the fresh frozen, but also um, the there's so many other benefits to it as well. I mean, so much less waste. Uh, it really helps like small fishermen like us, um, allows us to, to provide that product to our customers year round, um, because we aren't able to get out on the ocean, uh, because we have a smaller boat and weather, you know, we're really weather dependent. Um, and so there, there are many reasons, um, to buy fresh frozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, um, yeah, just encouraging people also to know where their seafood is coming from. Mm-hmm. Know your fishermen. Um, buy local. All right, listeners out there. So you just heard it from Erin. You can buy frozen fish, the good kind, and you can buy it from her. <laughs> it's going to be delicious. So everyone should get it. And they can um, order fish uh, on your website, too, from you, yes. right? Yep. Perfect. Great from and, our website or uh, at the farmer's markets. Great. And do you have any advice for people who are currently dreaming up a business? Oh, gosh, I would just Ooh, that's say a good question. Patience. <laughs> Be patient. Uh, I, you know, when we dove into this, 
uh, I really had no idea uh, how much work it is and how long it takes to really uh, build your brand and Mm -hmm. get yourself out there. uh, And, you know, just, yeah, patience and don't give up. I think that's great advice because it's all necessary. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Erin. Well, we're so glad that you could come on the show today. Let's tell people one more time where they can buy from you directly because we always love to encourage that. Yes. So Farmers Markets, PSU, Hood River, Montevilla, Hillsdale, uh, Farmers Markets right now, um, and our website, Perfect. Everyone, go buy your fish from Erin. <laughs> Thanks for being a guest on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. We record Masonian Marshall live every week. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Lon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you would like to be a guest on the show, you can DM us at our Instagram, Masonian Marshall, and we will be back next week. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Bye. Bye for now. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.